we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. episode of gratuitous sex and violence the podcast where one two sex is coming for you three four violence at your door Oh, wow, that sure is relaxing. What a nice little lullaby for you to sing to lull me to sleep in a non-threatening fashion. Yeah, you guys should have seen the horrified face that Ned gave me when I when I did that. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm very ready for sleep now. You know, any time that you have, like, little kids rhyming anything, it's I think that's genuinely creepy. Uh, I think there's a case for that. I think I think as a as a cinematic device, it has been employed so often yeah. to very eerie effect mm-hmm. that um that yeah, I think it's very difficult to to hear any sort of singing rhyme said by a child and not immediately uh, intimate uh, malicious Anxiety. malicious intent. <laughs> Um, from it, so uh, yeah, I think I think you got a strong case there. For um, sure. My name is Orlando. I'm joined uh, by my roommate, guest, and co-host Ned. Now, in case you're wondering why I started the podcast with a rhyme, mm-hmm. it's because we're watching a nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Now, do you often get nightmares? Are you are your sleeps perturbed? I, at this point, I don't necessarily get, like, outright nightmares. I do get dreams that cause me anxiety. Yeah. That will just be, like, inconvenient or somewhat distressing situations. Um, I, I have a recurring dream that I still get as an adult mm-hmm. that I'm back in college. Mm-hmm. That I'm back in college and it's, like three-fourths into the semester hmm. and I and I'm enrolled in like you know advanced language courses uh-huh. and like intense math courses but I don't know it's 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 like it's like a college version of the actor's nightmare yeah which is weird that like I've never gotten the actor's <laughs> nightmare I've never gotten an anxiety dream about like not knowing my lines I've definitely gotten that but I do get anxiety dreams about not being ready for class yeah even though I'm a fucking adult, and don't and and I don't think I'll have to take class again anytime soon. At least we'll I don't. See. I, I, I mean, maybe maybe it's getting me ready for. <laughs> maybe it's trying to tell me something. But so far, all it's telling me is don't do it. You're gonna have a lot of anxiety, mm-hmm. and you're gonna wake up in the middle of the semester and realize you don't know any of the things you should know. So yeah. So that's as close to nightmares as I get. Yeah, these nightmares days. seem to be more common the younger you are, especially night terrors. Yeah. Like the kinds where you just like wake up like screaming bloody murder i do not i don't get nightmare i haven't gotten a nightmare in a long time but i do get a lot of anxiety dreams too yeah i get those kind of dreams where something stressful is happening and my dreams are super vivid too yeah so it always feels like they're really happening yeah and then uh and they're very super detailed and then i'll something will happen where i'm just like completely anxious and then i'll wake up 
and my heart will be pounding in my chest and I'll be like, I'll have to like take a moment to calm down before I can sleep again. Yeah. But other than that, I don't get nightmares. Like I'm not scared. I'm just like really disturbed pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I well, and, and you know, I think like uh, nightmares, I think are probably a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a bit of a way that kids process or I guess that one could, when you're a child, process things that you don't know about, like processing yeah. the unknown in right. a way. Um, and so I think that, like, as adults, you know, there's there's maybe, there's still uncertainty in our lives, mm -hmm. but it's a different kind of uncertainty yeah. from, like, what you have as a kid. Right. So I think it makes sense that, like, the kind of uncertainty that we're most often grappling with today it, it manifests itself more in these weird anxiety right. things than, stress in, like, and than in like actual anything terrifying or outright scary. Mm -hmm. So um, I had a, in yeah. fact, it was really interesting. The other day I had an anxiety dream and it was one of the more like vivid ones that I've had in a while. Um, I dreamt that I was at an amusement park. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. And, and so I'm, I'm like on this, like jungle cruise like a disney jungle cruise okay but, but it's but it's like a horror themed jungle cruise Ooh, okay so, so it has the potential to be a nightmare right so it's me and like a bunch of people and i presumably knew one person there but everyone else is like a stranger and uh it was really weird because it was one of those rides like disney style where like like there was an actor and then the actor like leaves the scene and then you go into the ride. You know, there's like a story behind. Oh yeah, it. yeah, I I know what you're talking about. And the story and the actor was um, Donald Glover. Oh my god! And he was playing like some sort of <laughs> like soldier or something that had to parachute over the jungle and got lost in the jungle. <laughs> and so like we meet him like right before the ride starts and then he just disappears and then like the ride starts. Wow. And and the, the ride is intense. Like it's going through all these like twists and turns and rapids, and there's like uh, creatures, like lions and and like cannibals and uh, and monsters and just everything coming out at you. Wow! And it culminates on this gigantic drop, like higher than anything <laughs> that can remotely even be considered safe in real life, right? Yeah. And so. We're going on like that final like conveyor lift to this drop and everyone has been petrified by this ride and we're all like seriously like scared for our lives. We don't know yeah. if we're going to survive this drop. And I I look behind me everyone is just terrified and I look at my friend and I just start singing and I say thank you for being a friend. <laughs> Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. And then I look behind me and I like tell everyone, join me. <laughs> and we all started singing, thank you for being a friend. <laughs> and then we start rounding the top. We finish singing as we round the top. We all start applauding and we're like, yeah, let's do this. Woo! And we're about to fall. And that's when I wake up. Oh my god! So I, okay. did, I didn't get to experience the end of the ride. I, I feel like I want a refund for that dream because actually that sounds like such an awesome ride. But then you had to go and solve the riddle by, I guess, singing "Thank You for Being a Friend" and and whatever spirit was clearly trying mm. to 
tackle you or tackle your soul or something was clearly appeased by... I defeated by... it with the Golden Girls. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, yeah. I mean, what else? What else can possibly be pulled out at, at the 11th hour? I'm just glad that I discovered that even in my dreams, I am apparently an enormous smartass. I love it. I love it. I think it's, it's good. It's good tactic. I'm going to keep that in my pocket next time I'm in a stressful situation pocket. with a bunch yeah. of people. High tension, a lot of fear, a group of strangers. Break out a little golden girls. You well, can't do wrong. Hey, we might have to sing that song by the end of this movie because this is one of the classics of slasher horror films. Nightmare on Elm Street, of course, is in 1984. I'm not talking about the remake. I'm talking about the original 1984 American slasher film written and directed by Wes Craven. It stars Heather Langenkamp, John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Robert Englund, and Johnny Depp in his film debut. Oh my God, I didn't know Johnny Depp was in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Really uh, cool. The plot concerns four teenagers living on one street in the fictitious town of Springwood, Ohio, who are invaded and killed in their dreams and thus killed in reality by a burnt killer with a bladed leather glove. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen this movie before? I have not seen this film at all. No. Mm. Um, have you heard uh, of once, it? Uh, I've heard of it. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I vaguely know of it and of the concept. I've seen the uh, I've seen the Nightmare on Elm Street episode of Rick and Morty. <laughs> Ah, uh, with Scary the, Terry. Yeah, with Scary <laughs> Terry, the, uh, the, yeah, the misogynistic uh, <laughs> Freddy Krueger. Uh, so, so that's a great episode. Um, you can run, but you can't hide, bitch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, no. Unfamiliar. But you are familiar with the look and the appearance of Freddy Krueger. Yeah, yeah, no. The character, I, the, I definitely I think Freddy Krueger has a genuinely scary appearance. Yeah, um, I, I would I, say so too. He's, I mean, he's an, he's an iconic horror villain, I would yeah, say. Yeah, definitely. He's, yeah, I feel like he's kind of like, kind of like one of the, I guess you could say like if there's the big three, it's mm -hmm. like, uh, it, it would be, you know, Jack, right? Jason. Jason. There we go. Jason. Uh, mm -hmm. There would be Mike Myers, and there would be Freddie. Yes. Although it's Michael Myers. Michael not, Myers. Not the Canadian yes. comedian. Fair, fair. Okay. <laughs> this this mistake was also made in the film uh, Baby Driver. Right. Uh, when they get the wrong set of masks for their eyes. So uh, good point there. Now we watched. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you that you bring that up because we watched Halloween, which is kind of like the Godfather of. Um, slasher films. Yeah, sounds about right. And then we watched Scream, which is kind of like the the Unforgiven of slasher films. That's like the the culmination of everything that you could possibly do with that genre. That's yeah. it, right there. Okay, so 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 what is <laughs> what is Nightmare on Elm Street then? If if we're to apply this this sort of you know. Okay. No, notable cinematic history films lens so I to think, horror. I think actually last time I I actually compared Halloween to This Is and Kane of slasher films. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the comparison. You and so a time. much fairer comparison would be that the, the Nightmare is the Godfather of slasher. Okay, films. okay. That so makes sense. it's like it's that type of. Uh, yeah, it's like really. It's it's uh, uh, the the next generation's right. masterwork. That's the peak, say. basically, of what you would say. Like if 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 Scream is a meta, like rumination on what is slasher. You know, this is like the earnest 
version of that, you know? Okay, cool. And it's and it's interesting the West Craven made both of This is, this is like the pinnacle. Like, right. it, it tries to be the pinnacle of slasher horror. Right. Okay. Like, when you think about slasher horror, like, this is basically what you think about. Okay. Um, I'm so, into that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, unlike Halloween. Halloween, which codified a lot of these, you know, cliches and stereotypes, archetypes, uh, is actually pretty subdued for the most part, as we discovered. Yeah. This one is doesn't have any qualms. Like, this is, like, gore-fest central. And Dope. and there's a lot of, like, schlocky touches to Great. it. Great. I'm excited mm-hmm. for this. Uh, so, if you guys at home want to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street with us, it is available to stream on HBO Max uh, or in any place where you have an HBO Max add-on. Um if you don't have it, then you can rent it. It's like, like we said, it's a classic. So if you're into that sort of thing, which why else would you be listening to this show unless you are, uh, then do yourself the favor and watch it. Now, are you ready to delve into A Nightmare on Elm Street? Yep, just took some Dramamine. So. Okay, great. So we're going to take a break here. We're going to watch the movie. We'll be right back with some trivia and we'll discuss the film at length. We'll see y'all on the other side. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. And we are back! We just woke up from a nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I feel well rested. First reactions. I had fun. I had fun. It um, is a fun movie. It's it's a pretty fun movie. Um, I think. Uh, I I will say that um of the horror that we have covered so far on this podcast, uh-huh. and it's and it's well known that across the genre. It really does hinge on bad decision making yeah. and poor ability to, you know, heed John, warnings and tropes, shit like that. Yeah. Like that's that's a horror thing, and mm-hmm. I get that that's endemic to the to the genre. That said, I think that this movie feels in many ways like the most blatant. Really, or uh, maybe not the most blatant of what we've seen, but like it's up there mm-hmm. in terms of just in terms of uh, both to a certain extent. The ability of the various teenagers to communicate mm-hmm. what they saw and when they saw it. Right. And more importantly, in terms of the adults and their <laughs> just sheer inability to... Not listening to anything. To, to heed and comprehend the fact that clearly something very supernaturally fucky is going mm-hmm. on. Um, that they had, like... First-hand knowledge about turns out. Yeah, exactly. A thing that they had for like the fact that like this this big traumatic thing happened, mm-hmm. and now their kids are like spouting off about how they are having dreams about this serial killer that they obviously made a point of not telling their kids about. Yeah. Like yeah. if that's not setting off alarm bells right off right. the bat, then. That you should be looking at the situation a little more closely. <laughs> and I don't know what to tell you. What's other than, going on? Yeah. So there's a fair <laughs> bit of that. And, and and I think especially the moment towards the end when she... 
when she wakes up, and and again, this is—I I don't know what's a dream and what's real at this right, point, yeah. which I think that's more of an open question about. But like going by the logic of the film, mm-hmm. of what we're knowing that moment—the moment when she wakes up, like when she's got all her traps set up in the mm-hmm. house, and she's screaming out the window, and the cops just standing there, yeah. like not moving. Nobody's coming over to He's investigate. Like, I tell her dad? Yeah, like just, <laughs> which again, you know, given the revelations that happen after the fact, um, you know, could could mean that that's part of a dream thing. Mm-hmm. And again, there is a there is a real nightmarish anxiety to your warnings not being heeded and stuff like that. And that yeah. brings me and that brings me to the next thing about the movie too, which is that I think that in terms of like, you know. In terms of, like, this particular slasher, who seems to, you know, who who is definitely supernatural in contrast contrast to Michael Myers, who is, you know... Who is who is of the world and Ghostface and and, and Ghostface exactly? So it's it's like uh, you know these 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 characters are of the world. There is nothing, but in uh, sorry those characters were like of the world and and you know all of that stuff. So so this movie obviously is playing with a supernatural angle, mm-hmm. and so it does leverage some of the supernatural elements in a, in a good interesting way mm-hmm. to service the horror right um which I think is cool um um eventually though when you have something that's supernatural um you know you have to start establishing rules for. You have to start establishing rules for, you know, what the what the qualities of your supernatural thing are. Mm-hmm. And you and 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 the the sort of internal consistency of your you you need to kind of when you're introducing something that's supernatural, I feel like to a certain extent, not necessarily like in an explicit way, but like you kind of have to be able to sort of find a way to communicate to your office like that there is a certain internal consistency to those supernatural elements. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself as the events were kind of, you know, continuing to expand. I found myself kind of juggling back and forth because it's like, on the one hand, it's like Freddy Krueger's whole thing is that like he attacks you in your dreams. But by the same token, the there is there is an effect that he is still having on the real world. Right. And so I think that there's not a ton of clarity in terms of where where the real world ends and where the dream begins, which on the one hand kind of makes sense, but also at this and 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 again, it could feed into the broader idea that's kind of brought up by the end of the movie where you get this whole idea of, oh, maybe it's all one big dream within a dream. Right. But by the same... Yeah, I think that's the point of the movie, actually. Yeah, well, I guess that, that, that does kind of make sense, but also at the same time... It felt like there was still a bit of a lack of clarity to it because it's like, oh, okay, so all of this was a dream because she awoke from it, but then she's still in a dream too. So then it's like, did nothing, was nothing real? Like, right. so. So that's up to you. That's 
Yeah. Yeah. They, so, I think leaving it open ended like that actually works. That's one of the, I think that that's actually one of the positive things about the movie yeah. for me. I like I like that because I feel like other slasher movies are not you know Halloween notwithstanding because obviously like that's one of the great ones but I feel like mo your average slasher movie yeah. isn't interested in like tackling metaphysical questions like that yeah and this movie uh, does a for me does a really good job of putting you in that straight of mind like where you don't even you can't even trust your senses you're like okay so what's a dream and what's not and at what point in the movie is is it not a dream? Yeah, which which I don't necessarily completely want to write off per se because, mm-hmm. like, for instance, um, the movie Inception I think does something very similar. Right. And um, uh, another movie actually that this made me think of when I was watching it that we watched that we both liked yeah. was Hellraiser. And actually, Hellraiser has some similarities also in in terms of like the interdimensional aspect of it and how those creatures cross over from the other side. Yeah. And this actually, when I was watching last, last night, I was like, huh, that's interesting that a lot of like the same like type of ideas exist in this movie too. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hellraiser is actually another really good example. And like, and the thing is like, I, I think like with a movie like Hellraiser, like, that I I think a lot of a lot of that kind of interdimensional fuckery and stuff it it felt it felt like it felt like there was a little more consistency in Hellraiser mm. for me personally mm-hmm. or at least that I felt like from what they establish about what it is that's going on in mm-hmm. the movie it felt like I was anchored enough in the rules that they established that I was able to pretty much for the entire movie go along with everything that they kind of set in front of yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And there's something about this movie. And 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 again, I think it's it's with a movie like this, similar to Inception, it is the kind of thing that does sort of lend itself to rewatching right. to yeah. kind of try to Piece it to together, to yeah. try to piece out those details. So it's possible that if I watch this movie again, that I might pick up on more of those details. So that's a possibility. From where I'm sitting, just from my initial first reaction, having watched it all the way mm-hmm. through once, it felt like it got a little fuzzy for me in mm-hmm. a way that, in a way that kind of pulled me a little bit out of it. Mm-hmm. That that I sort of felt like. Like, not so much that, like, like less, less that I, like, like in a way that for me personally kind of broke my immersion a little bit. Like, like less that, like less in the sense that I felt like, oh, wow, I'm like, I'm totally immersed in this complete lack of ability to grasp with what's real and what's not. And more just like, wait, what the fuck was that? So internal logic aside. Yeah. How does the movie work as a horror movie? As a horror movie, I think it works pretty well. Mm -hmm. I think that like... Especially for, like, what a relatively early horror film it is. Yeah. I think that it actually does a really good job of leveraging of leveraging the supernatural elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, it was, Fred, was Freddy Krueger as terrifying as you imagined him to be when you were a child? <laughs> you know, I think um, in the flesh, a little less so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do... Like, the things that... 
the things that caught my attention more though were how he defies the laws of physics mm-hmm. in space. Mm-hmm. Like the like I think in a way like the creepiest full shot of him for me in the movie is the shot of him like down the down the like back alley where his arms are suddenly yeah. really really long. It's a pretty it's like a it's shot. like a goofy looking thing. It's weird. It's like objectively goofy looking, right. but at the same time there was something about that shot Very that unsettling. was that was unsettling yeah. to me. Um so I, and and, and he says I am God. Yeah, yeah. And and then the other the other thing that that really sort of made my skin crawl was um when uh when she's dozing off in the bath and then uh, his yes. his claws come up between that's her legs. That's a great shot too. Like that's a really good shot. And mm-hmm. and so it's like so I think it's like the 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 things that the movie does that are similar to those two things mm-hmm. are the things that I think work the best for me in terms of how the movie kind of really does a good job of uh and and that's where it's at its best is like in those moment to moment things of just like oh yeah no this is like <laughs> you there's nowhere to run mm-hmm. like he is literally all encompassing as far as like when he is in regular pursuit and he's like, Ooh, I chopped off my fingers and Ooh, Mm. I cut myself open and there's bugs in there. That's a little more, whatever. Um, it's crazy to me that like people, whenever he, whenever he made scream, like in one, one of the, the ways that it's lauded is like this, they call, they call it like a perfect combination of like comedy and horror. Yeah. And it's crazy to me that people didn't, or maybe it's not that they didn't, but, you know, for me, I feel like that sensibility is a, comes with the West Craven package. And yeah. I think that in this movie, it's important to also note that Freddy Krueger, he is a horrific character, but he's also a pretty funny character. Yeah, he's a little goofier yeah. in this movie than I expected him to be. And, uh... and in later sequels, actually, like, it becomes even more apparent. Like, he's just like one-liners up the wazoo this one's a little more restrained in that aspect but like the the specifically like the scenes that you just brought out like he's almost like he's he's causing those gruesome things just for a laugh pretty much like you can see like the twinkle in his eye when he does it you know yeah well yucking it up for the camera yeah exactly well that's the thing is that i think that in a way i wonder if if there was a little less of the I don't know. If there was a way to make the humor a little more menacing or just like if there if there was a way to make it scarier or something like that, I wonder if that would allow me to kind of then be more willing to buy into the the way it feels like the internal logic mm. is is a little fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Um I think that in in a way, while while the while while to a certain extent some of the schlockiness is, is fun, mm-hmm. um, I think that it also does on the flip side kind of it, it it sort of makes it a little easier for me to hold it at arm's length, mm-hmm. which then makes it a little easier for me to then be kind of dismissive of like of how it kind of fucks around with the internal logic. So I think that if it if it if it went for a tone that was a little darker and a little more serious and and maybe tried to leverage more of his humor into something that's actually a little more terrifying, mm-hmm. um that might 
make it a little easier for me to then kind of buy into the sort of twisted internal logic. So that's 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 sort of again, that's more of a personal sensibility thing than anything for me. Yeah. Um yeah, so we'll talk more about the movie and some yeah, of these there's a lot more to talk gruesome about. aspects in here in a second. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about this movie. There's a lot of detail to it, which I think is great. Yeah. And, and, uh, so, yeah it's a very so dense it, movie. Yeah it's, yeah, it's really packed with a lot of interesting details, uh, if, and especially for kind of how sparse the script is. Right, um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, definitely. All right, so before we get more into the discussion, let's play some Nightmare on Elm Street trivia! Yeah! As always, this is going to be five questions and a bonus. Uh, the questions will go in order from least difficult to most difficult. And the grand prize is bragging rights. Yeah. So. I'm not, it's, it's maybe been a little while since I've had myself a, a meaty pile <laughs> Full of bragging, bragging rights, rights, right? right? Um, yeah, we'll I, I think you, you've done, uh, yeah, the last time you didn't I, I, do very well. But yeah. you, you did do pretty well um, recently, if I remember. I don't remember which movie it was, but... Something. Uh, always something to cling to. All right, here we go. All Let's right. see if you get this one. This is uh, starting you nice and easy. Question number one. Oh, boy. What childhood game usually accompanies Freddy Krueger's rhyme? Uh, it's uh, Double Dutch. The yeah. Jump Rope. Jump Rope. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Double Dutch, Jump Rope, both acceptable answers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, again, as we spoke, the use of the childhood rhyme is pretty freaking creepy. I, yeah, I liked it, it a lot. It's a nice little touch. Yeah, you know, I think um, considering that they did go to the extent of explaining that there is a backstory to Freddy Krueger, of, of, to some extent, mm -hmm. to the extent of that he was a serial murderer that did actually exist, um, it... it you know, it makes me wonder whether, uh, I don't know, so, some way to tie that childhood rhyme to that backstory a little more, because I felt like those kind of existed as separate entities. But again, if the whole thing was a dream, then who's to say whether he did exist in the first place right. or whether he was completely inspired by that childhood rhyme or something like that, right. or vice versa. But the childhood rhyme, I feel, is is pretty... Con it, it's connected to the Freddy murders, I think, of, like, real life. Because, yeah. like, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. Oh, well, yeah, I guess. Well, but but I think he murdered 20 people, though, right? That was what she said in the in the telling. Yeah, I don't remember like how if, many, if, if, but they were all kids. Yeah, well, because, yeah, I think if, if it was, if he had 10 victims, then that would make sense. That Maybe Brian it goes on to 20. We Maybe it does. Maybe it does. <laughs> the, movie only I mean, gave us, the movie only gave us 10. So, right. Yeah. Or maybe when it gets to 10, you like, that's when you start counting. Like, isn't that, I, that's usually like when you do those rhyming stuff. on. on oh, maybe that's why it's double dutch. Right. You have to do it twice. So, well, it's double dutch because you use two, two jump ropes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I wasn't an active child. I don't know how this fucking jump rope shit works. Uh, yeah, the interesting thing about that, uh, about the rhyme, is that actually Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy, her boyfriend at the time was credited with coming up with that rhyme. Really? And then they used it in the movie. Ooh, creepy. And originally, in this first script, um, Freddy was supposed to be a child molester who okay. also killed his victims. Uh, they toned it down a little bit for the release by just calling him a child murderer. Uh, in the new version, which was released in 2010, the, the reboot, uh, that part of his backstory is added back into it, that he was a, a child molester. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that, because I think, like, that, that, that takes it, 
that I mean again it's like it depends on like on what level you want to operate with the horror because right. like that is a really horrific thing oh yeah and um so yeah I don't know how I feel about the the idea of including that I mean, I'm glad. I think ultimately, I'm glad that they didn't in this version. Yeah. And plus, like the new version, I don't, I don't like it, so I'm not even gonna yeah. count it, you know. But I think ultimately they did do the right decision because I feel like if they had gone with something darker, then maybe. But if they're yeah. doing something as goofy and fun as this movie, it would seem kind of in poor taste. Yeah, to that me. would. Be, yeah, exactly. That it. Yeah, it becomes a whole different thing. So. All yeah. right. So. Here comes question number two. You're doing great. Okay, okay. All right, question number two is Nancy's mother warns her not to fall asleep in the tub for fear of what? Uh, for fear that she will drown in the tub because Americans, uh, apparently hundreds of people, drown in their tubs by falling asleep every year. Drowning! Yeah. You're right! Indeed. Actually, uh, yeah, a lot of people, <laughs> I looked this up, but this is, I didn't even know, I expected there to be people, obviously, who drown in bathtubs every year. Yeah. But I did not expect it to be this much. Uh, it's uh, an average 1.6 million people per year in the United States. Wow. Drown in bathtubs. Uh, there's wow, a, so, so her mother really lowballed that number. There's though. an average one person per day who drowns in a bathtub in the United States. Oh, my God. The greatest number of deaths occurred during spring months, um, during which there's like 27% of all bathtub deaths that occur during spring months, and then winter months have the least amount of deaths. Interesting. Well, I guess... I guess maybe it makes sense that there would be less baths during the winter because yeah. I think like if you're soaking and then you get out. But you would think like, you know, a bath is like nice and warm though, right? Don't you want to like warm up like if it's cold outside? Well, yeah, but like, well, because I think that like if, if uh, I'm going on the core assumption that it would be that like maybe if your home is not that well heated, that means that the warm water is not gonna is is gonna sit in the cold air. Yeah. It's gonna cool off pretty quickly, actually, as opposed to like a shower, which is a constant stream of warm water. Mm -hmm. So you could always like turn the tap back on and heat it. You know, refill, get a little heat back. Maybe, in maybe. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah, it's extra work though. All that extra work to it's keep the water circulating. Uh, yeah. And I I imagine that um, many of those deaths, like like uh, like Nancy's mom says, is a result of people uh, falling asleep. And I'm sure, like, yeah, I'm sure it's fair. The fair share of it are like drug related. I'm sure, like people. Yeah, like, probably. Yeah, probably like passing out, mm -hmm. or or, uh, or even probably just like slipping. And I would imagine probably a fair amount of just like slipping and knocking your head and then falling in or something like that. Yeah. Too, so. Yeah. Gotta be careful. Crazy. Gotta, you got watch. Don't your step. fall asleep watch, in the bathtub. Watch your guys. <laughs> more importantly, watch your step in the bathroom. It, mm -hmm. It's. Dangerous. And if you are, you know, taking naps in the bathroom, make sure to have a non-slip pad underneath you so yeah. you can sit upright and not slip in. 
Oh, God, we should have gotten the sponsorship for a non-slip pad. <laughs> That's the perfect sponsorship what for GSV. Perfect. This episode of That's GSV what we need. brought to you by... If anyone out there is generic, a non-slip pad salesman, reach out to us at GSVPod on Twitter yeah, and give us some money. Yeah, certainly but certainly before we do uh, the next Final Destination movie, <laughs> uh, where I'm certain there is a dumb slipping-related bathroom room death in i'm sure that they do it hey speaking of bad decisions abound that movie right oh yeah i love it (laughs) again i think that the decision i think the poor decision making in this movie still kind of outdoes the final destination poor decision making if you were to ask me i think i I have to watch so nancy i want to ask you a little bit about that before we go on because that's i mean you keep bringing that up but nancy's the really the only character that makes any real decisions. Everyone else is just like falling asleep. I agree. I I do think Nancy is the sharpest person Mm -hmm. on the screen. (laughs) Definitely not fucking saying much. Also, I do think that she, um, she is not, she, she, while, while she is, while she does take the most direct action, and, and fights the most vigorously once she is sure of what's going on. I do think she she hesitates a lot in the beginning. It's clear that I think she is connecting the dots yeah. much more soon than when she finally starts really pushing the case to other people. And she doesn't seem to, I don't know, She there's there seems to be something missing in how she's communicating that she's realizing something real fucked up's going yeah. on. So yeah, I mean, like, yeah. if you were if you were to find someone that had like your exact same dream, and you both go tell someone else, do you expect people to just believe that? I mean, that's a pretty far fetched, you know, idea. <laughs> I don't know. Well, if it's somebody that I trust, mm-hmm. if I trust this person. That I'm like, hey, I had this fucking crazy dream. And then this other person says to me, I had that exact same fucking dream. Mm-hmm. And if it's a person that, like, I take at their word, that, like, I can trust them mm-hmm. to tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, I'd expect I'd expect a third party. You'd think so. I would expect a third party to take me at my fucking word. And that, like, I trust this person. Mm-hmm. I think you know I'm not that crazy. I mean, you know, I'm the right kind of crazy. <laughs> and and I trust this person, so, like, we... Yeah, this shit's... Re- I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah. It, it Again, we're talking about dreams here, so, yeah, yeah dreams... Yeah, there's a lot of fuckery. It's easy to be with. a couch quarterback about these things. <laughs> I know, I know. And I will admit, I'm very guilty of that on this show. I definitely do a lot of second-guessing and whatnot. Um, but I will say, Nancy is the most competent person. I'm definitely yeah, especially absolutely. impressed with uh, the initiative she takes on uh, rigging up the explosive lights. Home Alone. I was, I, yeah, that's some Home Alone shit. Uh, I was really impressed with that. All right, so you're doing great in this quiz. You've got two for two. Yeah. Let's go to question number three. All right. Um, um, More this difficult. Is, this question is about Nancy. Right. Uh, in the sleep study, what does Nancy bring back with her from her dream? Ooh, she brings back uh, a couple of scratches on her arm mm-hmm. and Freddy Krueger's hat. And the hat. The first concrete piece of evidence that yeah. her dreams are real and also that they cross over into what we assume is reality yeah exactly and and hey uh, again just to bring back inception uh you know it is interesting that we're already kind of toying with the 
the multiple levels of dreams yeah. element as well. Yeah. And uh, the question of what from one level of dreams leaks into another. Yeah, what so. can you bring with you? Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing about this, like, I don't I don't know if this is like a trope or not. Maybe, you know, now that we've seen some horror movies, maybe you can give me your reaction to this. I feel like there's a lot of police horror movies that have like a scene of treatment in a hospital type setting like we have uh reagan in the exorcist she's uh, a lot of given a lot of tests and stuff uh, after her demonic possession starts um in the craft with which we watched um we have nev campbell's character getting treated for her scarring on her back at the hospital uh, this scene has this this movie has the sleep study scene there are of course other movies that I, I can't re- uh, think of the top of my head right now but I feel like uh, you know that that seems to be like a, a common uh, plot point is that you try to solve or or at least fix the problem with medical intervention first. Yeah, for the victims or the people who seem to be seeing what's going on. Right. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that definitely kind of goes hand in hand with like the whole idea of that like somebody within the core group of survivors mm-hmm. understands like what's actually at stake, mm-hmm. but other people around them don't believe them. So I think the idea that they kind of are then subjected to some sort of medical intervention, mm-hmm. it, it kind of helps expand on like the heightening of the stakes when, right. you know, society at large refuses to believe you. And, you know, again, because I think a lot of horror does, does kind of you know, traffic in the idea of the anxiety of knowing that you can only kind of look out for yourself yeah. and and that you can't necessarily like that 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 the solution to this particular problem lies outside of the regular protection that society normally offers. Also the like I think the anxiety of these medical institutions I don't know about you but I'm I'm not a fan of going to hospitals and going to see the doctor it produces quite a level of anxiety yeah, and whenever I see these scenes especially when they're like you know, poking and prodding, <laughs> I'm always, like, really anxious, and it adds to the horror for me. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Well, I think also a lot of that does boil down to, like, one's personal experience. Um, certainly there are some some institutions are better than others. Right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there is, you know, yeah, there are definitely some mental health institutions that are very underfunded and mm-hmm. very poorly run. There are others that are not. So, uh, right. So yeah, I think that definitely that definitely does help augment, uh, especially just in terms of the broad societal impressions yeah. of of the state of these institutions. So yeah. All right, here comes question number four. Moving into slightly harder questions here, but you might get this. I think this is you know a piece yeah, we'll of cake see. personally. We'll see. Since I don't you're, know. Since you're an actor, I'm sure you picked up on this. Maybe. Uh, during Nancy's high school class, they touch upon which two. Shakespearean plays. Uh, they touch upon Hamlet mm-hmm. and Julius Caesar. Correct! Hamlet and Julius Caesar. Yeah. Uh, both of which have very prominent um, soliloquies or monologues um, about dreams. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to be or not to be in Hamlet has that line, to sleep a chance to dream. Yeah. Aye, there's the rub. Mm-hmm. Uh Great. I mean, great uh, great plays, both of them. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad that the question didn't go further in terms of 
asking me to to bring back a quote. A Recall quote. The, the, uh, that, the the exact quote used yeah, in the movie. That I would not have been able to do. So, um, but it was Julius uh, Julius Caesar that was actually read in, yeah, in the movie. Definitely. Although I wondered if. See, I don't know this for sure, but because, like, eventually when it kind of transitions out of in, you know, because, like, in, you know, when she's still quote-unquote awake, uh, he's kind of reading it in that weird, like, monotone. Weird, stilted, and then like, all yeah, of a sudden, like, and then all of a sudden he just knows how to read the text when he's Exactly, in yeah. When she's in the dream, he well, he has that weird sort of, like, hoarse voice, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure if he had reverted to a different Hamlet monologue in that moment, or whether, no. that, or whether that was still the that same. That was Julius still Caesar. the same. It was okay. just, it was just delivered the way it was supposed to be delivered. Okay. Well, I'll like, take it. Because you have to have like that anxiety and that like, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like it, it, I thought that was actually a really good creative choice. Like, yeah, I like you it. know, when when you when he's a, a real high schooler, he doesn't know how to approach the text and yeah. it's all jumbled and then in the dream, he's all of a sudden a Shakespearean actor. Well, well and also I think that 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 I found actually very funny too because I think that like <laughs> um the, the typical thing of high school students reading text mm-hmm. by rote, um, it, you know, in that monotone voice is excruciatingly yeah, boring. Very to much hear. so. And um, yeah, so, so, so there's no surprise that she obviously just goes right off, out yep. just uh, as, a, as a result of that. Too. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was a nice touch. All right. So, so far. Yeah. Four for four. Four for four. Okay, I You've can brag. You've got bragging rights. I can brag. Let's see how far them. you can take these bragging yeah, rights. Yeah, we'll see. Am I a perfect braggart or just a sufficient braggart? Question number five, the hardest question of the quiz. Oh, boy. It's my nightmare. According to Glenn, played by Johnny Depp, which people... What a baby. What a baby. Which people developed dream skills... Ooh. Which eth- ethnic people? Which which ethnicity? Oh God! Developed dream skills. The what people? The what people? Um. And I will say that these people originate from an island in the archipelago known as Indonesia. Oh. Yeah, I missed it, and uh, my. Uh... And my uh, my knowledge of uh, indigenous Indonesian uh, cultures is not sharp at all. So can you I... can you pick out one of the islands because it's the name of one of the islands of Indonesia? Oh God, no! I oh. mean, not I mean, not not with any confidence. Um, mm. I'm gonna. I mean, okay. I'll just. I think it might have begun with a B. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna say Burundi without any hope. Just just a shot in the dark. It is not Burundi. Okay. Too I bad. think Burundi is a country in Africa, maybe. That probably is the case. Yeah. So it's not uh, a good. Yeah, not a good look. For the sure. island is Bali. Bali. And they are the Balinese people. Okay, so uh, we yeah, develop the dream skills, and this is actually true. This is actually that comes from the culture of Bali. Okay, but basically, what they did, and it's something that is not just unique to them. Yeah. Um, what they did was they learned how to lucid dream. Yeah. And you can train yourself to do that. Like you can train yourself to like when you're falling asleep, you know, just think like 
a certain thought. Like, for example, red balloon, red balloon, red balloon. Yeah. And then when you fall asleep and you have your dream, at some point, if you do it enough, you'll see a red balloon. Yeah. And then you'll realize that you're dreaming, and then you'll be able to control your actions in the dream without breaking out of the dream reality right? yeah definitely and and i and i know that like part of the lucid dreaming technique does include keeping a dream journal right you have to that you have to keep meticulous notes yeah in so, order to help build up that awareness as well right to know um, all the details yeah. and stuff i think glenn's explanation of what it was was poorly done it was a very vague description very vague he's just like oh yeah you just you just think about it and you write it down afterwards and you get dream <laughs> skills and i was like okay i think there's a little more to it very than high school i ship him yeah. But the thing that he said about turning his back on the horror, like it that, that actually has again some some semblance of reality there because one of the things that the Balinese people found out that they could do when they were dreaming is that they could they could improve that's why it's called dream skills. They could improve certain skills that they have in real life while they're dreaming. Because if a skill is just a repetitive action or you know like getting to know how to do something enough times until yeah. you get it right. Like for example, playing guitar. Yeah. You could learn how to play guitar in real life and practice in real life, but if you learn how to dream about it and you can play guitar in your dream and those skills will transfer to real life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> hey, maybe because it's to... all about exercising your brain. Okay, I mean, hey, that'll save me a <laughs> save me a considerable amount of time. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you need like ten thousand hours to become an expert at anything. Yeah, my well half our time's us. wasted sleeping. Yeah, true, very true. All right, I'm, I'm gonna maybe I'll have to start keeping a dream journal. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Very interesting. All right, so you did not get that one, but you still have pretty solid bragging rights. However, you could make it all up. And you have a perfect score if you get the bonus question yeah, right. Yeah, let's see if we yeah, let's see if we can do that. Now, as always, the bonus question kind of walks away from the world of the film and it's about filmmaking in general, more behind the scenes look. This question I don't know. I don't know if you'll get it, but yeah. It's an interesting question. It's actually yeah. a two-parter. As we know, Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the definitive slasher horror franchises from the 1980s. Yes. The other two being Halloween and Friday the 13th. Yes. So the question, number one, part one, how many films are there in the Nightmare franchise, including the reboot and the crossover? And, part two, how many did Wes Craven direct? Oh, boy. All right, I'm going to say for franchise, mm -hmm. I'm going to say eight, including the reboot and the crossover. Okay. And then I'm going to say Wes Craven directed a total of four. Right. These are just shots in the dark. Okay, all right. Now you're going to be surprised that you actually came really close with the franchise number. Super close. Okay, I said nine, right? You, you said eight. Oh, I said eight. You okay. said nine now. Well, I'm going to stick with my original answer. The answer though, is nine. The answer is nine? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Shit. Okay, well, um, that's too bad. We'll roll the tape back, but you did say eight. But I did say eight. Okay, cool. The answer is nine. Now, before I give you the answer to the Wes Craven one, 
as a bonus bonus point here. Okay. The crossover involves Freddy and which other famous slasher monster? Jason. It's Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Good, good, good. All right. So Wes Craven directed two of them. Ah, okay. He directed the original Nightmare on Elm Street and then he directed A New Nightmare, which is the one where it all takes place on a meta level where it's not about the characters, it's about the actors playing the characters and how Freddy, the character in the movie, comes into reality and becomes an actual monster, even though Robert Eglund is actually a character in the movie. Oh my god. That, <laughs> was that one good? Or did you not yeah. like that? Okay, that one was good? Okay. That one's like my a second favorite of... A New Nightmare. Yeah, All it's right. great. It's fantastic. I like this. And that was like where Wes like really started playing with meta in, in horror. Yeah. And it led to like the next horror movie he made was Scream. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I remember now. Yeah, we talked about this. Um, yeah, that sounds fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that one up now. It's really, really good. Uh, Freddy has a lot in common, actually. We talked about Freddy and Jason. He has a lot in common with other iconic villains of horror. He's kind of like Michael Myers and Jason in that he tends to hunt after promiscuous and mischievous teens. Um, he's kind of like Pennywise, the demon from It, in that he feeds on fear and enters people's dreams. He's also similar to Candyman, who was also lynched by a community um, unjustly, quote-unquote, although I think in Freddy's case it was pretty justly, uh, yeah. which caused him to be resurrected in evil spirit form and who also has a hook hand. Mm. How do you think that Freddy compares to like all these other movie monsters? I mean, I think, you know, his, his kind of prevalence in society... Or just, like, in, in, like, the cultural consciousness. Not to mention just the fact that there is literally a Versus film featuring him. Right. Um, I think kind of speaks to, you know, kind of speaks to his level of clout, I guess yeah. you could say. Um, I think that... It's a great design. It's a, Yeah, it's a good design. Um, and, and, again, I think that, like, for this first film, um, they did a good job of capitalizing on his sort of unique selling point that mm -hmm. like he's uh, you know that he does it in the dreams yeah, yeah. um and Dream uh, killer. yes exactly <laughs> um so uh so they did a good job of of you know making the most of that mm -hmm. uh, and and sort of you know letting him letting him defy the laws of physics in order to really milk the most out of the horror and also i appreciated that you know Again, there's a question about how much actually really happened, but for for all of the on-screen deaths that we saw, considering the body count is as low as it was, mm -hmm. considerable amount of gore, like a, a lot, lot of, of blood, gore. a lot of blood, a, a lot, lot of gore. Of gore. So, um, this so, is yeah. not Halloween. <laughs> so yeah, definitely makes him a uh, you know a pretty you know a pretty striking uh, figure in the in the constellation of slasher villains, as it were. Let's use that to segue into our first GSV segment. This one's called... Shots, 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 You mentioned how little deaths there are in this movie, and this segment is about the violence and the death. So what's the number? 
How many yeah. people die in this film? So again, discounting the question of whether it was all a dream and n- none of the deaths happened, or all of the deaths happened, um, f- f- on-screen deaths that we got, um, body count's four. Four is the correct answer. Yeah. Can you tell me who and in what order and also how they died? Okay. Uh, first death is... Uh, Tina. Tina. Um, and, uh, and, oh, you want how they die? How they died. Okay. Um, so Tina is pursued by Freddy in the dream, and she is slashed, and then her body is dragged up onto the ceiling, and she collapses onto the bed, and it's all bloody. Correct. Um, then we have, uh, who's next? Um... Then we have uh, Tina's boyfriend. I'm blanking on his name. Rod. Rod. Uh, he is... Who was a Nimrod. Who was definitely <laughs> a bit of a Nimrod at that. Um, and he is uh, strangled in his jail bed whilst being investigated for Tina's murder. Um, then we have... How was he strangled, though? With the bed sheets. Hung by the bed sheets. Hung by his bed sheets. Um, which also isn't it isn't that a thing that like jails or prisons can't really have bed sheets because of the risk of suicide or something like that? Or? Yeah, I mean the uh, the night that I spent in jail, uh, I definitely had a a bed sheet. Oh, okay. Oh. But they, but they do guard. I think like now especially like you know they don't have like bars and stuff where you can hang stuff from ah okay yeah i guess that (laughs) that would be the key Mm -hmm. um let's see uh after that we have glenn Mm -hmm. who is sucked into his bed Mm -hmm. and i guess the bed turns into a puree machine or something (laughs) like that turns into an oysterizer yeah uh just yeah completely reduced to Pure bloody liquid. Um, the infamous blood geyser, as yeah. it's known in film lore. Yeah. Now, th- th- this movie, did it predate The Shining or post date? After, if I, by a it couple of years. Shining? Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So, yeah, it takes a, takes a little inspiration from The Shining. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Flood of blood. Lots of blood. Um, nice. Uh, and then, finally... Uh, Nancy's mom. Marge. Marge, who first is pounced upon by Freddy whilst he is aflame, (laughs) and then her charred remains are sucked into the bed, and then when she's alive again, Freddy reaches out from the window of the house door and grabs her and pulls her in really quick, so quick that she seems to almost instantly turn into a mannequin. Yeah. Because it's clear... Yeah, it's very clearly, yeah, very clearly a mannequin that was used for that for that final kill. So she actually kind of almost dies twice in the movie. A little bit, yeah, yeah. But I'm still counting that as one death, though. <laughs> yeah, it's only one death. Come yeah. on, uh, you're right. Uh, and uh, Freddy is responsible for all the deaths in the movie. Yeah, exactly, as is to be expected. In fact, Freddy, uh, you know, as opposed to I would say the Jason movies, especially Friday the Thirteenth, and. Um, Halloween, where even though he, you know, gets up at the end, yeah. we do supposedly see him die. 
you know. Supposedly. But again, he he's he is a car at one point too. <laughs> that mo- that thing I think was like that was kind of a fun reveal, like. Oh, when I, I mean, I mean, in this movie, what I meant to say was that in this movie we don't see him die, as opposed to Michael Myers and Jason, who do die in their movies. Oh, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But in this one, we never actually see like Freddy doesn't really die in the movie. Yeah, no, not really. He's defeated by Tina when she turns his, her back on him, and then he just sort of disappears, and he comes back as a car. Yeah, exactly. So, but that, I thought that was interesting. Like, you know, he doesn't die; he lives on. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. The dream lives on. There were over 500 gallons of fake blood that were used during the filming of this movie. <laughs> that sounds about right. That's that very gory. That's a lot of fucking blood. Um, yeah, and I, I do... Again, I love that, like, you know, by the time Glenn is dead and is, is again, literally turned into a puree... Uh, and 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 his death is so gruesome that like even the coroner is fucking vomiting, vomiting. in the bathroom, yeah. and nice and touch. and yet again the police still just seem unable to grasp with the possibility that Nancy maybe kind of knows what she's talking yeah, maybe, about. Yeah, no, no, they just they just think she's crazy. Yeah, she's just being silly. She's just, just being a silly her, little girl. Her woman troubles. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, but yeah, no, the violence in this movie, definitely fair bit of fun. The power of Freddy Krueger, I think, is, goes back to, you know, one of those great tropes in horror about less is more. Yeah. Because even though we do see quite a bit of Freddy action and he is really gruesome, we don't actually have that much in the grand scheme of things. He's only on screen for seven minutes. Yeah. But it feels like a lot more. That is interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have exp- yeah, if if you were to ask me how much on-screen time Freddy has in the whole movie, mm-hmm. I would not have said I would not have thought it was that long. Yeah. Um so yeah, that does kind of speak that does kind of speak to to his his presence mm-hmm. in the movie in spite of the fact that we don't actually see that much of him. Um also another thing that I was kind of interested in was how it's like he like his supernatural abilities, like the fact that he's able to bend the rules of space and and physics, um, means that like you know if he really wanted, he could pretty easily kill everybody and be done in a half hour. Yeah. But like I, so I found it interesting that like it's clear that for him, it seems most of the joy does seem to be much more in playing the psychological game. The chase, the toying. And and that, uh, like, like the, 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 the scene that comes to mind is like the, the scene when she dozes off in high school, the fact that she runs past the student who is Freddie, Mm -hmm. but the student just says, you need a hall pass. And then that's, that's the last you see of him because he he wants to keep he wants to keep her he wants to keep her pursuing that thread of horror more and he wants her in in a much more frightful state before he goes for the kill. Mm-hmm. So Robert England spent three hours a day getting into the makeup, um, and he wore those gloves, those iconic gloves that apparently were quite sharp, and he actually cut himself the first time that he tried on. The Freddy glove. Ugh, um, I hate he that. he is absolutely tied with 
the 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 character of Freddy. He's yeah. he did played, he play him in all the in all of them except for the the reboots. The only one. Okay. Um, what did you think about him as performance uh, in the movie? Uh, performance was pretty good. Again, I I have. I have some questions personally about how the film balances its tone and, mm-hmm. and Freddie, I think is a big part of that like weird mix of the tone because of how Freddie is kind of a little like up with the yucks and as yeah. it were, and, and, and sort of is very kind of big about the way he sort of is comedically menacing people but, yeah, and whatnot. I, I think that but, that's the selling point for them in, in yeah. the series though. People, like come to expect that from the series. Yeah, a little bit. Well, I think it's just that. So, so I think that like he definitely he definitely plays that up. Um, I think my my own personal question about that is whether that's the right mix of you know comedy versus menace to mm-hmm. like make it make you know again it's like if if the objective of the horror film is to is to elicit some amount of legitimate terror in the viewer then some of that some of that presence can diffuse some of that humor uh and and so there were one or two points where i felt like his antics did kind of do that for me did kind of take away from the the feeling of wanting to be in a state of suspense and anxiety and wondering if they're going to get out of it or if they're going to get brutally slaughtered mm-hmm. so 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 yeah so so kind of kind of mixed for me personally um but certainly yeah he does play it up and again like you know the movie is obviously em- embracing a certain sort of schlocky tone yeah um it's very evident in the soundtrack which definitely sort of goes for uh you know a, a kind of a perky synthy sound yeah. and all that stuff so you know again it's it's clear that it's all by design yeah i think yeah i think um, yeah definitely i feel like the yeah. movie is like purposefully goofy yeah yeah it's, so i think it's just more a matter of you know that that to my personal taste i think like again if, if i'm expecting more horror out of it then you know that that does kind of bump up against it for mm-hmm. me personally a little bit mm-hmm. so it's like a movie, like, you know, like going back to Scream, which is a good comparison because Wes Craven directed that too. Yeah. Um, you know, like that movie, it's almost like the other way around or, I mean, we, we talked about how like there's really only one scene that really seems menacing in that movie and the rest of it like yeah, is pretty hip and there is a lot of like laughs in that movie too. And even though it is pretty violent and suspenseful, like it doesn't feel menacing except for that opening scene. Yeah. I feel like in this movie though, it is way more menacing throughout the film, even with the yucking up of Freddy. I do think that there are several sequences where I'm like, Oh shit. That's like actually legitimately terrifying. Yeah. No, I, 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 I definitely, I'm definitely not trying to say that, that the terror is completely diffused throughout Mm -hmm. the film. Just more like uh, one or two points, I think more towards the middle where I found myself being like, yeah, there are like one or two points towards the middle where, where I felt like, yeah, it's being a little diffused by, by his goofiness, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, but, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily throughout the movie. And, mm. and again, certainly still plenty of terror to be had. The yeah. idea behind the glove was a practical one on Wes Craven's part as he wanted to give the character a unique weapon, but he also wanted something that could be made cheaply and that wouldn't be difficult to transport. At the time, he was studying primal fears embedded in the subconscious of people of all cultures, and he discovered that one of those fears is an attack by being clawed by an animal. 
And around the same time, he saw his cat unsheathe his claws. And the two concepts merged. Although in the original script, the blades were fishing knives, not steak knives, as was used in the finished film. Yeah. What did you think about the iconic glove? I, I do. I think that the glove is probably like the best part of his design yeah. for me. I think because like that, and especially because like the the image of Tina's death of like when she is in bed in the real world and you see the slashes appear mm-hmm. on her body, like that is basically like a perfect encapsulation of the horror of right. Freddy Krueger. So it's not necessarily how scary he looks, but it's knowing that in her subconscious, those claws are killing yeah. her. And um, manifest it into reality. Yeah, exactly. So so I think the claws definitely are a big part of what makes him a really creepy, creepy uh slasher villain um because yeah that's that's just that's not a fun way to go prior to tina's death we get the scene where nancy's sleeping in tina's bed and this is another iconic shot in the, of the movie yeah is where we see freddie his form pressing through the wall above her yeah and that's a pretty creepy ass i really really <laughs> like that shot yeah again i think like because yeah that's that's what i mean that's why i don't necessarily want my sort of my criticisms of the goofiness mm-hmm. like i don't want that to necessarily be taken as to say that it totally ruins the movie because i think it's just like the movie has a ton of has a ton of genuinely effective scary devices that it uses mm-hmm. um i think that yeah i i think the balance could have been pulled back a little bit on the comedy side just for me personally but i think that like you know again like the image of him pressing through the walls mm-hmm. the image of like his hand between nancy's legs and the bath like i think that like there's there's a lot there's a lot of really smart stuff that's done that makes him feel omnipresent and Mm -hmm. again it does so without showing too much of him so i think that like the shots of him that's just directly of him where he's doing his taunts and he's cutting off his fingers that stuff's not as scary to me and Mm -hmm. and and the comedy of it doesn't feel that menacing to me when you compare it with like just slashes appearing on a person's body and and all that stuff so so, so yeah so the so yeah the stuff that really the stuff that really leverages like how supernatural Mm -hmm. he is and how you know how omnipresent he is that's the stuff that makes him much more menacing and terrifying to me so that shot is actually accomplished by stretching a sheet of spandex across a hole in the wall and then pressing against it pretty simple but it's a really effective yeah definitely um yeah it definitely works for me also uh one thing that i liked i actually really liked this the the sleep study sequence too Mm -hmm. um i really really liked the idea that like there's a whole other chase that's happening that you don't see that yeah that we don't see but also that see like the machines going yeah exactly that all we're seeing is is that we're seeing it play out in the machines but also at the same time that there is something there is actually something substantive that happened during that chase because of the fact that at the end of it, when she wakes up, she has his hat. She was like so, wrestling with the guy, probably. Yeah, exactly. So I, I really, I really liked that mm-hmm. scene and that idea of sort of like capturing the idea of her being on the other side in the stream. I thought that it was pretty happened. good. So, uh, so yeah, I thought that was really well done. And now the the most difficult stunt to pull off was actually the one where Freddie is set on fire and chases Nancy to the top of the stairs. Um, that shot was was done in one take with several cameras. Yikes. And stuntman Anthony Cicera, who actually was Freddy in that shot, 
he won an award for best stunt of the year for that scene. Nice. Nice. So let's go into the next GSV segment. This one's called Boob Tube. We're talking about the gratuitous nudity and sex. There yeah. is no nudity, but it is, again, a slasher film, so sex is intricately a part yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a little bit of hinting at nudity, a little bit in terms of uh, Tina's dress in the very first dress sequence. It's kind of see-through. It's pretty transparent. Right. Um, and, and, and actually, I found Tina to be an interesting... To be an interesting character to introduce to the audience first, because... You kind of think that she's the main character. Well, that's the thing. She's clearly introduced to the film as 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 being set up as the main character, mm-hmm. and it's reinforced through the through the tropes of horror purity right by both the fact that in that first dream we see her and she's in a very long white nightgown and when she wakes up she's got a crucifix right over her bed yeah all of which leads us to kind of think oh she must be like a christian virgin Mm -hmm. type person Mm -hmm. and then it and then it's not until um you know rod comes over to the house and they are in the room having sex that it kind of dawns on me oh, they're having sex this early in the movie, she's probably going to fucking die first. Yeah, and she does. Um, which, which, yeah, and, and she does. And uh, so, so again, part of that is just, you know, retrospective knowledge of all the directions that horror has gone in. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that was interesting. And that, both that, for, the, that the movie does kind of toy with that. For me, personally... Similar to how that opening scene in Scream is the most terrifying scene in the movie, I think that all of the Tina stuff is probably the most terrifying thing in the movie for me. Yeah. That, that like, initial, like her death, you mean? Or? Like that initial dream where she's in her night nightgown, the see-through nightgown, yeah. and you just hear Freddy like calling her from off, like, like Tina. Yeah. Scre- like, that's pretty fucking creepy. Yeah. And then the chase in the alley is balls of the walls terrifying i think like yeah you know she's he's like that's the first time you see freddy like run and the way he, he has this like weird i don't know like kind of yeah, like weird war on yeah of thing. definitely <laughs> it's so weird and then of course the final like slashing of her body in the bedroom yeah like that is like i think truly terrifying stuff yeah yeah, definitely. I agree with that. What did you think about uh, Amanda Weiss's performance uh, as Tina? Um, I thought she was quite good. Um, uh, and again, I think that, like, you know, while certainly Nancy, the character Nancy, takes the most initiative, mm-hmm. um, I certainly think that uh, um, the the performance as Tina definitely was very engaging. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, and and also that like you know she had a lot of really fun rapport with her group of friends yeah. in a way that like you know and again she kind of jumps back and forth between like you know being in this sort of suspended state of terror over this nightmare right. that she's having and you know still hanging out with the friends um and yeah i think like just how preoccupied she is with the nightmare at the beginning of the movie definitely goes a long way to making us really buy into the idea that she's going to be our protagonist because mm-hmm. it's like again she's the only one who seems to be wise to the fact right. that something funky is going right. on but then she's dispatched and nancy takes up the mantle 
So that scene of her thrashing across the ceiling when she's being attacked in her bedroom is super cool, I think. And it was shot using a rotating room set, which is another parallel to Inception, which we we talked about earlier. Uh, The room was slowly spun to allow her to roll into position. The camera was bolted to the wall and the cameraman was strapped into a chair beside it, which turned in tandem with the room oh so the cameraman was upside down yeah. while while holding that angle that makes sense i guess yeah, yeah. so for, for the two shots where rod and tina reach out for one another as tina's on the ceiling she's really lying on the floor and uh and jay sue garcia who is who played rod is upside down with his hair pasted down <laughs> to stay flat uh. The effect was so good that just before shooting began, Weiss got a bad case of vertigo. And that same uh, rotating set was re redressed, I guess. Yeah, was redressed and used for the infamous blood geyser when Glenn is sucked through. Oh. So the, the water or the blood is not actually shooting up. The set is upside down, and the water's pouring down, oh, but it's shot, like, the other way, that, so it looks like it's that pouring. That makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really funny, and really economical. Yeah. Um, I, I admire that. That's just, that's, that's one unlucky bedroom. All right. So we talked a little bit about Nancy. She is our main protagonist, and she does take the most initiative in fighting... Freddie, she's played by Heather Langenkamp. What did you think about her performance? Uh, I thought she was good. I thought she was quite good. Um, I definitely appreciated that she she kind of nailed this like great sort of like subtle subtle sort of building of exhaustion as the film progressed. As she didn't she, sleep for seven days, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> as the, the longer she goes without sleep, um, and and uh, yeah, and she does a really good job of sort of like you know keeping that exhaustion, but also that urgency at the same mm. time. And um, yeah, that's that's a tricky thing to kind of get across and mm-hmm. i think she does it pretty well um it's interesting to me that one of the actresses like over 200 actresses were auditioned for the role of nancy um and among the the, the actresses that were considered were jennifer gray demi moore claudia wells tracy gold but another one that was considered and this is what's interesting to me was actually courtney cox who later hmm. appeared in screen interesting mm-hmm. yeah that is very interesting um yeah, I mean, I, I don't recognize the actress from anything else since uh, since this movie. So. No, she wasn't in the rest of the series until uh, New Nightmare, yeah. where she reprises her role. Well, actually, she's playing herself, Yeah, but she's but known also, as the yeah, actress yeah. that plays Nancy. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, definitely. But uh, <laughs> in, in a case of, like, a very early, early type of meta humor that Wes Craven seems to love. We get the scene where Nancy looks in the mirror and says, my God, I look 20 years old. In real life, Heather Langenkamp was in fact 20 years old. (laughs) Yep. That sounds, I I was thinking that during the shot, like, Oh, I wonder if she is actually 20. I will say she, she does look incredibly young in this movie, like more so than most, high school age students are typically portrayed in media yeah so it seems like they they mostly did a good job well i guess they they did a 50 50 job because johnny depp looked like a baby in this one and and uh nancy looked like a baby in this one uh rod and tina both did look a little older um so that i was a little more 
inclined to believe that they were most likely actually adults. I saved case. talking about Johnny Depp until this segment, um, even though we usually reserve this segment for the ladies. But I wanted to talk to him about him in this segment because one of the main reasons that he was cast in this movie was because Wes Craven's daughter thought that he was dreamy. And he is pretty dreamy. He's a very dreamy <laughs> man. Let's be real. Uh, Johnny Depp. He's a baby. Uh, and uh, and hey, you know, that uh, that uh, that little uh, outfit that he had about midway in the movie showing off his midriff there. Uh, right. Like, yeah, you know, look. Just yeah. saying, sex a little, symbol, a little, a, little, a little eye candy for 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 young for the young Cravenette. What did there. you think about his performance in the movie? Uh, I know that we you you said that Glenn as a character is useless. Yeah, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, Glenn as a character is real fucking useless in this movie. He falls asleep, fucking like he's a growing three. boy. He needs his rest. <laughs> um. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Um, I thought uh, his his performance was 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 all right. Uh, a little a little aloof, but that's not necessarily to say that that's not something that the char- that's called for in the character, mm-hmm. especially considering he is called a jock. Yeah, um, that is meant to be like his role. It's interesting because I think that like in a way, Rod struck me as a more jockey type of character. Right. Um, and he was kind of like a bad boy. You yeah, because well, especially though, because like Rod is like such a bigger physically imposing yeah, that's character. True. So so I found it kind of interesting that like uh, that Glenn is is kind of meant to be the jock, and yet he actually isn't necessarily as physically imposing, and you know has that like initial moment of confrontation of like physical confrontation where Rod just tackles him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so. and Johnny Depp in real life is kind of like. That has that rocker bad boy look to him. Yeah, that's your thing. Yeah, does John, not play that character at all in this movie. Yeah, yeah, de- yeah. Depp more in real life. Yeah, definitely more of a more of a rocker type yeah. than anything. And in fact, a literal rocker for that matter. Right. Um, but uh, but so yeah, I found that kind of interesting. That like you know, in spite of the fact that he's meant to be the jock, he's actually not necessarily that physically imposing, and and has that great scene where he's like trying to call out like, "Hey, is anybody there?" and trying to act all tough mm-hmm. while the girls are hiding behind him. And it's like, <laughs> oh man, you're. You are out of your element, Donnie. Uh, Wes Craven has said that Johnny Depp was not very confident about his own performance and the, the inexperienced actor needed some reassurance during filming. Yeah, that, but, that makes sense. Yeah. He, yeah, I think I think he I think it, it seemed like he was he was warming up into his eventual natural charisma. But it was a good performance. And, uh, you know, it, it, it yeah, it and it, it fits the movie. It ended up being iconic because we know, you know, Johnny Depp's career only grew bigger from this. For and sure. uh and and we talked about this when we watched Scream, but one of the reasons why Skeet Ulrich was chosen in Scream is because he had a, a, a resemblance. He resembled Johnny Depp's character in. Yeah, this he movie. really did. Um, well, and, and when uh, he was climbing up into the yeah. window, right. it, it totally right. brought back the image of of Scream. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, yeah. Well, Wes knew what he was doing there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, also, I, I, I'm sure there is a logic reason for this, but why the fuck are you climbing a fucking rose bush in bare feet? Because it's attached to the lattice? I'm just saying. There's a bunch of fucking thorns <laughs> there, buddy. Just saying. Wear like, your shoes. Wear your shoes. I, I, think, I think there is an internal logic thing going on there because I feel like... I feel like walking around outside in the streets barefoot is 
kind of trying to be indicative of the fact that they're probably in a dream. Probably it's like asleep, if you yeah. were if you were actually awake, you'd actually go through the motions of putting on your shoes, but mm-hmm. because you're in a dream, those those incidental details kind of you you brush past those. I mean, it makes you, so, it makes you think there's a lot of subtle clues about like, you know, what's dream and what's not like when when she comes up with the plan initially of like she's going to go and get Freddy and he's supposed to like sit up and stay stand watch over her or sit watch over yeah. her and she's in the dream and she calls out to him says are you still there and he actually appears in the dream yeah in and the, says in i'm the bush. still here yeah and then he disappears yeah, and it's that's like I thought. I've always thought that that, yeah, was, that interesting was a nice touch yeah. because it's like okay, so what what's real and what's not? Because if he can talk to you outside of the dream, but he appears in the dream and you're speaking to him, are you actually speaking to him outside of the dream? Also, like, yeah, or is, are you like mind projecting? What's going on here? You know, he could have been asleep this whole time, honestly, and maybe she invented that. Yeah, that's what I think too. I think that like yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah. For my money, I would say that yeah, she was probably talking to herself at that point, right? Because you can't talk to people outside of your own dream. unless um, it's unless all you a can. dream. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, the, I think that that's one of the funny. That's one of the most fascinating things about this movie is that you can't really tell a lot no. of times what, what's a dream and what's not. Yeah, very true. Um, so let's go into the last GSV segment. This one's called. Uh, that's problematic. So, what's problematic in this movie? Rod? <laughs> yeah, Rod's pretty fucking problematic. Um, I, I had some worries about... I had some worries about... Tina had those worries, too. Well, Although yeah. later she seemed to be enjoying things. Well, that's the thing, though, is that it, it, what, what comes to mind for me is that it, it seems like they're clearly in a sort of cyclical dysfunctional relationship mm-hmm. type situation and i think i think the fact that tina was insistent on her friends being present in the house speaks a lot to to the to the notion that like that there probably was something more serious going on and so i find it interesting that you do have that sequence where nancy is like insisting that their fights were never that serious and right. stuff like that because right. i think that like i don't to know her maybe they weren't but. well that's the thing it's like maybe to her they weren't but also it's like I, but, I, but but i think it's like from what we're shown on right. screen it actually sounds like they probably weren't actually in the healthiest and, cycle and i think that that's uh, i know we talked about how the parents like you know are stupid are you, are and useless. useless yeah but that's actually a point there where i think that the parents are absolutely right because i do think that when you're a teenager you don't really think about things in the grander scheme of it, you know? And when you see, like, a boyfriend and a girlfriend fight, if they're both... If they're your friends, you're kind of going to downplay it, I feel. Whereas, like, a a parent who is removed from it and has the experience, like, they know, oh, yeah, they fight all the time, so clearly he's the main suspect. Yeah. And so I think that that's actually part where the parents are more correct in their perception than Nancy is. Yeah, to to an extent. Obviously, again, within the film, they turn out to be wrong. But it it make but but <laughs> right. I, but I do agree with that. That like it's in it, any it, other it circumstance. Se- it, well, it seems like an instance where like yeah, the the adults. It is the adults applying their adult knowledge mm-hmm. of these situations in a way that makes sense. That like yeah, no, it's clear that this is a fraught 
relationship. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, we need to keep these kids apart. One of the um, criticisms that does get leveraged against this movie quite often is about Nancy's mom, Marge. Um, they Not only is she kind of like a thinly written character, which is, I guess, fine for who she is and what purpose she serves in the movie, the criticism more involves around how slapdash her alcoholism is kind of applied to her personality. It's kind of yeah. like, it's kind of like just like an afterthought and it's, it, it's a problem and it's a defining characteristic, but then it's kind of just like, eh, you know, just like tossed aside. Yeah, I, I agree <laughs> with that. Like, yeah, it's, it's clear in the text of the film. It's, it's clear on a textual level mm-hmm. from how they both talk about it and the number of times that we see her drinking mm-hmm. on screen that, like, she is an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that the movie does not do a particularly effective job of actually portraying that. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, like, she... Yeah, I, I think it's it's not the best performance for sure. Right. But also I think that there was a, I also think that there was a lack of direction involved in that. It's a missed opportunity, I yeah, think. Yeah, definitely a missed opportunity. Cause again, like while certainly a lot does depend on the actor, you can do a lot just in terms of how you direct the costume design, yeah. how you direct the makeup yeah. as well to to better convey that, like, this is a not fully functional situation. Mm-hmm. Especially considering just the initial appearance of Tina's parents mm-hmm. right after Tina wakes up, because just the appearance of Tina's mom and also of her boyfriend or, yeah, or, the, lover. or, or was it the father? Some sort of lover. I, um, I think but, we're, it implied that Tina's mom is also single, but yeah. Yeah. Or something like that. But, um, like the gentleman caller, but, but, but it felt like just bet- by their dynamic that I thought alcohol was involved just from what little we saw of the two. And of probably them. so. And, but, 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 but yeah, but that was just kind of like my point was that like the way they are, shown on screen like their costuming choices their makeup choices all that stuff told that story to me mm-hmm. in a way that very little was done to actually reinforce that side of the story for nancy's mom yeah and, and then again the fact that it is nancy's mom that is by the text designated to be an alcoholic that then muddles up the storytelling further because it's like, wait, I thought maybe Tina's parents were having some sort of an issue there. So right. now, like, it's both them or yeah. it's her, it's Nancy's mom, but it's not, it's not as visually clear. To, so yeah, it, yeah, I think there's there's definitely some sloppy storytelling going on there. Did you find anything else problematic in the movie? Um, again, it's a very white movie. Yes. Yeah, very. Uh, and and where where did it take place again? Oh, yeah, this movie. T- <laughs> we got to bring that up. That's actually a good point because this movie takes place in Ohio. Yet it it does the exact same sin that Halloween did. Halloween took place in Illinois, and they're both actually shot in Southern California. So we see palm trees very prominently in both movies, where like they don't exist in the Midwest. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean again, I think Ohio is 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 not an incredibly diverse state, right? I think it is. I mean, oh, is? nowadays probably. I don't know. Uh look, as 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 has been made clear 
over many episodes of this podcast, I'm horrible with geography, and I'm horrible with, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm horrible with geography. It's probably less diverse than California is. For sure. But I think that the United States, as in general, is a pretty diverse country. It's pretty safe to say wherever you go, you're going to find some diversity. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I think that even if it's not, then I think I, I still think it's important to, like, represent at least one different yeah. <laughs> viewpoint yeah. in your movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think also in this, in terms of this movie specifically, it's interesting that it became such a white film because uh, um, this is a behind the scene fact here, but I found this really fascinating. Wes Craven first came up with the basic, uh, basic idea for the movie from a series of articles in the Los Angeles Times over a three year period about a group of Southeast Asian refugees from the Hmong tribe. Uh, several of whom died in the throes of horrific nightmares. Hmm. The group had come to the U.S. to escape the murderous reign of Pol Pot in Cambodia. And within a year of arriving, three men had died all in similar situations. The young, otherwise healthy men would have a nightmare, then refuse to sleep for as long as they could. And when they finally fell asleep from exhaustion... They would wake up screaming, then die. Autopsy results revealed that they had not died from heart failure, but they simply died. It was this inability to find a cause of death that intrigued Craven so much. And medical authorities have since called this phenomenon Asian Death Syndrome, a variant of Sudden Unexpected Death Syndrome, and also a variant of the Brugada Syndrome. So... I find it really interesting that this movie was inspired by Southeast Asian culture. And in fact, in the movie, um, Glenn mentions Southeast Asian culture. Yeah. But the movie kind of, I guess, is mostly interested in appropriating those facets from those cultures rather than what I think might have been more interesting to have. Southeast Asian characters dealing with this. Yeah, I mean, well, and, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I think the fact that he that he that he took those that he took those those specific things and then transplanted those story ideas mm-hmm. into a typical white suburban setting. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's 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 the most relatable thing to to <laughs> Mr. Craven and right. and also, you know, the most relatable thing to sell horror to right. a, especially a, a broad a broad audience, you know, on Hollywood's terms yeah. obviously. So, yeah. yeah, it's definitely telling that uh yeah, that that you know, some of those some of those interesting ideas were co-opted and then yeah, didn't ever find as much follow through to uh yeah, to to kind of explore those those cultural entry points further. That is pretty fascinating that that yeah. happened to like you know three different people. Yeah, That's crazy. Definitely, it's like just like go to like fall asleep from exhaustion, then wake up screaming, and then die. That's I mean, yeah, you would have to think that something in their dreams killed them. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. I mean, yeah, you have to wonder, yeah, I mean, I wonder how much how much medical investigation went into figuring out those causes of death, right. too. Like, yeah. Uh, New Line Cinema, this was actually their second film ever that they produced. Oh, wow. And the first film was not a big success. It lost them a lot of money. And New Line was actually saved from bankruptcy by the success of this film. 
And for many years after this movie, it was jokingly nicknamed The House That Freddie Built. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. That's funny. You know, it's interesting because I think like also, you know, there's this kind of whole phenomenon that like horror... You know, horror is 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 a is a relatively safe financial bet. Right. They're it, usually cheap to make and they usually turn a profit. Yeah. So um so yeah, that's it's interesting to kind of see the the earliest the earliest entries of what would eventually become a whole sub industry. Yeah. Um considering considering how many more of these like, you know, kind of generic low budget horror films oh, get yeah. made now oh, yeah. and, and all that. So yeah. yeah, and on the and on that note, that's a great note to like talk about. Like now that we're wrapping up our discussion of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street because it, it's true. I, I feel like so. Yes, Halloween was the first one, and there were a slew of imitators from that. Yeah. But you can also kind of see where this movie sprung imitators of its own, like like movies that specifically leveraged the supernatural aspect of the slasher film. Yeah. And in terms of like even like with dreams and all of that, you know, like different horror movies. Uh, have explored that idea since then. Yeah, but this was sort of like the first movie to to do that. Um, so, you know, you do have to look at it in terms of the legacy, but just taking it as a movie on itself, like, uh, what are your final thoughts on A Nightmare on Elm Street? Do you think that it was a bad movie, a so-so movie, a good movie, a great movie? Um, where do you fall at the end of the day? Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going to say... I'm going to say that this one is good verging on so-so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think uh, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's definitely very clear from watching this movie why Freddy Krueger is the horror icon that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I, I, I'm going to be interested to read up about this movie and about the various like kind of interpretations about where the lines between dream and reality actually exist mm-hmm. in the confines of the movie. Um, I think it, I think it's got a lot of detail and it's got a lot of interesting ideas. I think that for me, a touch of the tonal dissonance and also a touch of the fuzziness of the internal logic for uh-huh. me does kind of pull me out of it a little bit and mm-hmm. keeps me from being totally with it. Also, again, just the sheer uselessness of the adults to like an, an insane degree and uh, uh, also kind of pulled me out of it a little bit and, and made me more frustrated than anxious. Like, that's the thing is that like, I think that you, you know, you, 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 you for your horror movie to be successful and for like your poor decision making to, to, to have the greatest effect on your audience it, it has to still produce anxiety that like even if like you know that the characters are making the wrong move by going into that garden shed alone or mm-hmm. whatever like it still has to produce anxiety in you and has to make you you know literally feel that moment of knowing that doom is just around the corner and I think that like the the sheer uselessness of the adults and how prevalent their uselessness of it mostly saps it of anxiety for mm-hmm. me and just made it more for mm-hmm. me. So uh, mm-hmm. ultimately, the, all, all that stuff kind of detracts a little bit from it for me, leaving me with good Virgin on so hmm. Okay, okay. I think that this is a great movie. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, no. I, uh, yeah, I, I hear that. I, I really love this movie. Um, I actually think that this is 
a better movie than Scream is, honestly. Okay. Um, and part of me, like, I love Scream also. Um, although I'm not sure if this is better than Scream 2. I'm not sure. <laughs> but interesting, interesting. Because <laughs> Scream 2 is really fucking good. Um, I'm definitely invested in seeing the whole Scream franchise. Yeah. But I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on, on the movie, on this movie. I, I think that this movie, it just... It, it really walks that line between exploitation and surrealism. Uh, and it's pretty effective in both, I think. Like, and, and yeah, like the horror aspects of, the, of it are, are pretty chilling and terrifying. And then all the goofy little touches are great too, I feel. I don't think that one detracts from the other. I feel yeah. like they, they both exist uh, equally. Yeah. That's what I think. I don't think that... Because I don't think that the movie needs to be overwhelmingly scary. And I don't think that the movie needs to be overwhelmingly goofy. I feel like the movie is just has the right amount of both. It's a yeah. fun movie, and you get some truly terrifying sequences, and you get one of the most iconic villains in horror, and Robert Englund is amazing in it. And like the story, like you mentioned, the story is pretty simple. So it's not really about the internal logic. Like all of those, all those things are like you know, whatever. You know, movies don't make sense. We know that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I'm, I, and I'm with, and I'm, and I'm definitely with you there. Yeah, I so think that, uh, to me, it's, I'm more interested in the ride. Like kind of like you know, my dream, the yeah. ride. Yeah. And like, at what point do I turn to my friend and I'm like, okay, let's just sing along and just like hold hands <laughs> and just get just get ready for this final like you know drop. <laughs> and this movie has that sense of fun for me. Like, this yeah. is a movie where, yeah, I want to see this with friends because I feel like yeah, it's a fun movie to watch with people especially, and yeah. and you get to like see some gross you know horror and you get to be a little freaked out with by some of the surrealist stuff yeah and you don't know what's reality and what's dream and that's really interesting to me that this movie kind of like even though it's a simple story it has a lot of depth in the themes that it's exploring yeah um and yeah the goofiness just is like the icing on top of the cake <laughs> I, I love how goofy it is i like the i like freddie's one-liners they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's perfectly fine. And 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 you know me, I love me a good one-liner. Again, right. we we recently covered, uh, uh, you know, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. So right. so Lord knows, I love me a good a good meaty one-liner. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, I certainly do agree that like you know this movie is densely packed with detail. Um. I definitely think it's a movie that merits rewatching mm -hmm. for sure. Um. So. Uh, who knows if subsequent viewings, along with uh, along with reading, you know, additional observations from other people who are more familiar with it, mm -hmm. might 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 you know persuade me to to move my to move my overall appraisal along in future days. Uh, now the rest of we'll the see. series is kind of like hit and miss. Yeah, uh, part two is really really bad. Part mm -hmm. three's all right. Part three's okay, actually. Yeah. And um, the rest of the movies are like kind of forgettable. Yeah, from what I'm hearing, I think most likely I'm I I don't think I'm that invested in in uh, catching up with the franchise. Right. But I'm keenly interested in uh, New Nightmare. New Nightmare is definitely where it's at. It's really really yeah, good. Yeah. That that sounds like right up my alley, mm -hmm. especially considering uh, how much I love Scream. Right. It sounds like New Nightmare is definitely 
where it's at for me. Yeah, so you should definitely I'm, seek it out and watch it. And yeah. I recommend if you guys love this movie to watch that. And uh, you don't have to watch any of the other Nightmare movies for it to work. Nice. Um, so, so yeah, just watch watch that one. Um, but yeah, that brings us to the end of another episode of GSV. We just watched A Nightmare on Elm Street. Thank you for watching this movie with me, Ned. A genuine dreamly pleasure. <laughs> well, we hope that you join us again someday to uh, watch another schlocky masterpiece. And you guys out there at home, we hope that you join us for another episode where we'll watch another movie and play trivia and dissect it. Until then, you know what? Just to play it safe, don't go to bed tonight. Just turn on TV and watch a movie. Deal? Sound advice. All right, cool. Watch the adults not eat it. <laughs> I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Just, I hope we're gonna have some good.